Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. So, hey crew, new year, new decade. Let's have some new Pure Dog Talk promos while we're at it, shall we? All right. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive, pure dog talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for runner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming. Like, what products do I like or anybody else like? Open mic, Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talk's patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you've supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. Like a real So... Just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am super excited. We had a request from listener a couple months ago to interview people who are brand new to the sport of purebred dogs and involved with purebred dogs in a very early level and to talk to them and learn something about them and some of their challenges and some of their successes. 
And it was just a huge and overwhelming reaction from people in Facebook land. And we did one of these and you guys loved it. So we're doing another one. And I'm really excited to talk to people about this tonight. I have with me Jessica Deerdorf, Emily Wright, and Justice Lucy. And these are folks all across the country, all across breeds, all across ages. All of you guys are new to dogs. And so I want to hear your story. So I'm going to have each one of you guys give me your 411. And we're going to start with Jessica. You go, girl. Okay. My name is Jessica Deerdorf. I'm 31. I live in central Pennsylvania. My background coming into dogs is actually horses. I am a third generation breeder of Connemara ponies. My family has bred the breed in Ireland and the United States since 1961. See, I love that. You know, coming from horses, I think it gives you that really great, different vision, right? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. That was my life. (laughs) I grew up breeding, showing, importing. I was a pedigree geek who literally read the pedigree book because we have no TV in Ireland (laughs) when I went home every summer. So I would read pedigrees and I would make reading charts and that was me. Had some life things happen and I missed having that connection with my horses. So I started looking to other avenues and found dogs. Excellent. And dogs gave you a little bit of that opportunity, right? Yes. I was in college on the riding team and one of my really good friends was getting a well-bred Doberman puppy. And we're sitting there and we're talking about the dog and she's all excited And the light bulb went off in my head (laughs) because I show my horses, I inspect my horses, I genetically test my horses for their breed-specific disease, and it never had occurred to me to do that with dogs. We always had dogs. We had a variety. We had English setters, English springers, English pointers. There's a joke somewhere about us being Irish. (laughs) We had a black and tan coon hound. My grandpa had border collies. My now husband at the time had a German shepherd. And she's a lovely dog. She's a really nice dog, but she's badly bred. Yeah. I'm not going to even sugarcoat it. Yeah. She's got some issues that you find with badly bred dogs. And so I realized I didn't want that. So I started doing research and just became a huge dog geek. (laughs) I fell into bite sports, Uh, IPO, now IPG, ended up getting a well-bred working line German Shepherd puppy. And, you know, decided bite sports weren't going to be for him. So now we're doing those work and obedience and agility foundations. Well, but you have lots of options. Yep. Okay. And he's just exactly what I wanted. I knew what I didn't want, and he gave me exactly what I wanted. Awesome. And we got goals. I think we'll get our German SV rating this year as well, mm-hmm. which the German confirmation style showing. Very cool. Excellent. So that's me. <laughs> All right. Emily, speak to us. Yes. So my name is Emily Wright and I live in Southwest Missouri and I am 33. And my background is we grew up with dogs that we got from the pound, actually. And my parents grew up on farms. And so they were farm dog kind of things. They lived outside in dog houses. Right. And so I didn't understand dog shows. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know well-bred dogs or anything about them. So when I got married, I rescued a miniature schnauzer with my husband. Mm-hmm. And we happened to stumble across a breed-specific rescue just because he was adorable. Right. <laughs> and it was just the most adorable face. And that's simply how I stumbled across it. And then I got hooked up with 
If grownups have BFFs, that's who I travel with nowadays. Right. And she had recently purchased a standard schnauzer from a lady whose name is Liz Hansen mm-hmm. and sketchbook standard schnauzers. Yeah. And she was starting to show her standard and... You know, I just started tagging along because I didn't have anything better to do. (laughs) And at that point, I tagged along with her to confirmation shows. And then we started Ozark's Mischief Barn Hunt, which is the barn hunt chapter in Southwest Missouri. Nice. And so I really started getting involved in performance sports. And so we do barn hunt and that kind of thing. And then I started getting involved with confirmation. And obviously, I just have miniature schnauzers and we're super, super involved with rescue. (laughs) My minis and where I love them, they just weren't performing at the levels that I wished they were. And so Liz, at a show one day, she just kind of handed me a Picard, so a Berger Picard. Right. And she knew I had been admiring them for, it'd been months and months at this point. It felt like years, but she just kind of handed it to me at the end of the show. And he was the runt of the litter and we didn't know what would happen with him. She crazily had a litter of standard schnauzers and Berger Picards on the same day. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, who does that? Only Liz. And so he was actually raised with the standard schnauzers because he was just so little. And he got the nickname Peanut because he was just a little peanut. Yeah. And we didn't know if he'd make size or anything else. But we knew he would be a good performance dog because... The genes were there, the health testing and everything else right. was there. Right. And so she just was like, okay, here, do what you will with this. And so I had my first really well-bred dog. Very cool. I brought him home and I surprised my husband after a show. Because <laughs> that's, you know, kind of how we work in my house. And you're still married. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I've surprised him with more than one dog. It's a regular occurrence. And so... He was super excited, and that peanut has now has his championship. He did make size. I joke with people now that he makes a very lovely bitch because he really does. You've seen dogs like Um, that before. (laughs) Yes, he's very lovely if he was a bitch, but you know. And so we finished his championship, and I did most of it, but Liz did help me with some of it, and I now mentor under her. Good. My friend Jennifer and I, we both mentor under her. We joke that she's the standard schnauzer half, and I'm the Picard half. Well, perfect. So Peanut has gone on, and he's now the highest-ranking Berger Picard in the country in Barn Hunt. He has his master title, and so my husband runs him in Barn Hunt. So that was Peanut turned three in December. Very so cool. That was just over three years ago. Okay. And when I jump in, I jump in with both feet because three years ago I got him. And since then, I have whelped two Picard litters, three Schnauzer litters here in my home under Liz's guidance. Right. And right. I, fingers crossed, in the next month, will finish my other boy, who's from my first litter that I whelped, all under the sketchbook kennel name. Right. His name is Roger, and he's my baby. I obviously adore Roger. <laughs> so hopefully he will finish soon. He's got two weekends of majors coming up. And then I have kept one from our most recent litter. Mm-hmm. I kept a bit from her for our okay. kennel list. Awesome. So I jump in full feet. 
and it's all because of Liz. Full bore. Yeah, and okay. it's all because of Liz Hansen. <laughs> we'll make sure there's a link to Liz's podcast interview because she's pretty amazing. She really is. So, okay, Justice, it's your turn. Tell us about you. Give us your 411. Okay. I'm Justice Lucy. I'm 18 years old. I live and have grown up in Hot Springs, South Dakota. I also come from horses. My dad raises and trains quarter horses. So I kind of grew up in a similar environment to the dog world when it comes to breeding and care of purpose-bred animals. And I ran barrels for a while, rodeo. I've always loved dogs. I've always been dog crazy. And we've always had dogs around, never a well-bred one. (laughs) But in this area, people don't look at dog ownership the same way other places might. Right. So I was at the library renting every breed book I possibly could, <laughs> learning. My family thought I was crazy. And so finally, one day, my neighbor, also a longtime friend who we leased pasture from, she also loves dogs. And she said, well, let's go to the local dog show. So we went about an hour to Rapid City and in this area, other than a Border Collie or an Aussie or a Corgi, right. seeing a purebred dog is like seeing a celebrity. So (laughs) we get out of the car at the dog show, you know, I'm seven or eight years old and I was already in heaven. I seen a lady walking like four or five Bouviers and I just, I couldn't (laughs) believe my eyes. There was dogs everywhere. (laughs) And so I'm shaking. I'm so excited and we're walking around and my very first dog show. And I stopped to talk to a lady with some terriers and she asks me if I want to show a dog. And I didn't know what to say. I was so nervous, but I agreed. (laughs) So this gal, Darcy Bartholome, full throttle terrier. She hands me a Norwich to take back in and we didn't win, but I was hooked. It felt like we win and the judge was so nice and he was so friendly and gave me some pointers. And so I had the bug right there. That'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. So have you since acquired your own purebred dog then? Well, I'm a co-owner on a couple dogs, but being okay. I still live with my parents and they're not fully supportive of my <laughs> hobby, I haven't been able to, but I have a litter of Afghans not born yet, that I will hopefully have my first puppy from. Oh my goodness, that's so exciting. That is so awesome. Oh yeah. So across the board, what I'm hearing is everybody has gotten good guidance from the people that they've encountered. And I love hearing that because too often we in the purebred dog fancy hear that it's too hard to get into and people are mean. And I love hearing from you guys that that wasn't necessarily the case for you. So that's very, very cool. So, Jessica, who do you think has helped you the most and what kind of stumbling blocks, I guess, would you say you've encountered? And what would you say would be your best advice for going around them or over them or through them? (laughs) To be perfectly honest, I really never got a mentor. I never really got guidance from anybody. I kind of just cobbled together from where I could. Mm -hmm. I just started showing up. I went to dog shows that were nearby. It was 2013. I drove to the Belgian Malinois National Specialty just to look and see the dogs. I went to training clubs. And I showed up for like almost three years before I got my puppy. I showed up almost every weekend I could. I just watched them train. I took photos. I worked as a distraction. I kind of had to elbow my way in. So I just kept pushing. I kept researching everything I could about dogs. I leaned really heavily on my horse background, mm-hmm. and I kind of cross-referenced, okay, I know how to read a pedigree. I know line breeding. Okay, I like this dog. I'll look at the pedigree there. Where am I seeing him line bred? Things like that. Oh, nice. Right. So I kind of took a little bit of everybody I talked to. I'd sit there. I'd listen at the ringside. 
So I didn't really ever have one dedicated mentor, one person just kind of taking my hand. Right. I sat there and I kept showing up and finally people started talking to me. Well, you know, there is a little bit of that, man. Persistence pays off in dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, Emily, you, I think, are like my poster child for I have a mentor (laughs) and I've been sucked into the dog show world. And I think that that's so important. And listeners... If you are longtime dog people, I mean, seriously, do like Liz, right? We all build our own little family of dogs and we bring people in and those people are then sort of under our wings and then you get the reflected niceness, if you will, right? So talk a little bit more about that and how it is different than what you see other people may be encountering. Yeah, it definitely has shaped everything in the dog world for me. We call it Team Sketchbook. Yes. We approach it as a team. And whether that team is what I'm learning from Liz specifically, just, you know, kind of on a one-on-one, and she's made herself incredibly available, and that it's a special kind of thing. And that's the best thing I can say for people who are long-term breeders or professional handlers or whatever it is, is making yourself available and then not making people feel stupid. Mm. (laughs) Because I know I have asked so many questions that people would think that, well, that's a really stupid question, but I just didn't know. Try to keep your eye rolls on the down low. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because I've not come from any kind of background or anything like that. And so studying all of those things and now learning how to put the best of this dog together with the best of that dog and, you know, these breedings and those pedigrees and things like that. And so it's just so meaningful to be able to carry on all of this stuff. I mean, we have that in confirmation in this sport, and I have it in my performance sport mm-hmm. in Barn Hunt. I have a very similar community, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I would be doing either of these sports if it wasn't for that community. Right. And so it's very much about that. And I don't know that I see that in all different breeds or even within my mm-hmm. breed. I don't know that I see that community. But, I mean, if it wasn't for the community, I don't think I'd do this. (laughs) Well, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I say it all the time. Like, I have my family. And my family is none of the people are related by blood, but all of the dogs are related by blood, right? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And I think that that is super important. And Justice, talk a little bit more about... You know, from when you were a little guy till now, you've clearly been to more dog shows, encountered more people. Talk about how that felt for you as a young person and how that worked for you and stuff that was hard for you. Well, I've had the privilege of having so many wonderful mentors. And I mean, everyone from the person that handed me a Norwich at my first show Mm -hmm. to my current friend and co-breeder and mentor and everyone along the way. I count anyone who has taught me something valuable and taken some time to teach me a mentor. Obviously, there's ones that are bigger than others, but I haven't really had a lot of bad experiences other than, you know, there will always be those few that don't want you to succeed. And you have to have thick skin sometimes and surround yourself with the ones that are sincere and honest with you and happy for you. I remember one of the first times I handled an Afghan I contacted Deb Ridley Mm. and I asked her if she was coming to the show and she said yes and that she'd have a class dog for me to take in. So the numbers come out and there are no points. But Deb drove several hours to the show anyway and handed me a dog and I learned so much right then. And I was so glad that she came 
and to this day, she's still a great friend. Love Deb. And even right now, I have my mentor, like my biggest mentor, who's my co-breeder. I've been so lucky to have her. She lives only a couple hours away. She has included me in what's going on, 90% of what I know. I have learned from her. I have a lot of respect for her. She's taught me great sportsmanship. You know, always look at a dog with an open mind and always be honest in assessing your own dog's faults and good qualities. And we both have uh, similar ideas and theories on breeding and a similar vision of what an Afghan should be. So I've been pretty lucky with good mentors. Even in my other breed, Chihuahuas, great mentors. I've been trusted with some special dogs to handle that have gave me my first group placements and so many others that people will hand off a dog. And it's been a great learning experience for me. And even though I haven't had the chance to own my own dog yet, you know, I've been going to shows for 10 years, I guess, and I've learned a lot. It's really helped. It's really helped me. So I'm going to have to tell you, Justice, you have been raised right, as they say, just the words of wisdom that you just uttered right there that you had to have gotten from your mentors. So that tells me your mentors are doing the right thing. So well done and good on you, because I would kill to hear more 18 year old kids talk like that. I have to tell you, that is very impressive. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Embark is really, really committed to providing a resource for responsible breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts. And we know these are tough times. And to help serve breeders right now, when we need it, starting in April, Embark is going to reduce its prices significantly through a series of sales and programs to help make the DNA testing even more accessible for everybody. So stop by, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, or hop on to their Embark for Breeders Facebook page and take a look at what they have on offer. As always, Embark's leading DNA test kits provide a comprehensive assessment of your dog's genetic health, genetic diversity, and physical traits. And I can tell you, I just got back the two Embark tests that I had done on my own dogs, and it was so cool. And I spent like half the day clicking through all the fun stuff. So stop by the Pure Dog Talk website and click the Embark logo on the homepage and take a look at what they have on offer. So Jessica... Talk to me about, because you're in that world of SV ratings and bite sports is like its own, it is its own universe, right? (laughs) Certainly compared to just your regulation confirmation dog show. I mean, clearly you bring knowledge from the horses and persistence. (laughs) So (laughs) talk to us about the process that you've gone through in learning by watching, because I want to hear more about that. That is something that I think not enough people can do. And I think it's really, really valuable. I'm really lucky that I guess you could say my mentor was my grandpa, Mm. who literally got married and then decided he needed a pony. And he went up to Connemara six hours and came back with this barely handled yearling Connemara pony holding him the entire time in the horse box. And (laughs) six hours of bad Connemara country roads. So that's even worse. We lived in Clare, which is very far from the epicenter of Connemara and quote-unquote good breeding and the best ponies. Mm. And my grandpa was very good. He had a really good eye 
he listened to everybody and he just absorbed knowledge like he wouldn't believe. When I sit down and look at the ponies we actually have, I'm like, how did we end up having the ponies that ended up on National Geographic have offspring in seven countries from this little tiny Claire back, like Lincoln you miss at town. And he just knew what a good pony was. And he had that eye. And you'll find a lot in my breed, most of the good breeders, they don't even ride their horses. <laughs> they don't show, they don't jump, but they know their lines, they know their pedigrees. Right. And they can put two ponies together and that pony will jump. Interesting. And so I really took from him. So that vision. Yeah. You inherited that eye, that vision for form and function that is, I mean, every dog standard basically known to man was written based off of horse standards. <laughs> yes. And Tessio, the racehorse breeder, he influenced not just horses, but you'll see a lot of the good dog breeders mm. will discuss his principles. Right. I read Pat Trotter's book and she cites Tessio and I just started going, yep, that's yep. what I got raised off. <laughs> yeah. Animal breeding, livestock breeding I know people, like, their heads spin around like the movie Psycho or whatever when you say dogs and <laughs> livestock in the same sentence, but it's the same principles, people. <laughs> and I think, honestly, that was probably my biggest stumbling block is coming from horses because there's a lot in horses that you do X, Y, Z, but if you do it in dogs, it's suddenly not kosher. Right. You don't breed for that. You don't right. do that. So I think me learning that the rules of dogs didn't necessarily match the rules of horses with a big learning curve. Uh, okay. I still get told sometimes, dogs on horses. Like, yes, <laughs> but the <laughs> basic principles are the same. So that may have been one of my bigger stumbling blocks. I love this. So I'm going to ask you this, <laughs> and I'm going to ask Justice this too, because you guys both come from horses. What would be one thing, if you could think of one thing you would like to bring forward from successful horse breeding to successful dog breeding? Honestly, I wish clubs modeled more after horse clubs. Huh? So in horses, you buy a pony yeah, and you get membership and maybe you're a USEF member or whatever organization and off you go, you show, you win awards, you get medals. The barrier to entry is very low, mm. even though comparatively the cost might be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. But then if you want to join a dog club, you really don't just buy a dog and send your membership in. And I really feel that clubs could do so much more to not just educate dog fanciers, but just the general public that, hey, I like a chihuahua. I want to be a membership member of the Chihuahua Club. And you get magazines. Right. There's history. There's standards. There's results, information. So there's a lot more communication just to average Joe than you would expect. And I really think if that model was followed, you'd see a real shift in dog ownership and education. I like that a lot. The German Wireheart Pointer Club of America, my club that I belong to, has open membership. You know, there's no, like, 28,000 people have to, and you have to check the boxes, whatever. I mean, you want a wirehair, you want to join the club, join the club, come on in! I wish there were more clubs like that, and I see far too many of them. And I recognize, you know, guard, 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 whatever, but you're missing a lot of education opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you just said is a super valuable observation. Okay, next to justice. I'm not skipping you, Emily, I promise. But <laughs> this is an interesting piece to me on the horse connection. So, Justice, what would you bring forward from horses to dogs? Okay, well, I think that first the dog people can learn so much from the horse people. And I also think that the horse people 
can learn so much from the dog people. I think that there's very similar principles. I find that at the horse shows, at the barrel races, the sportsmanship is outstanding. Even if the big winning horse at the time has a total failure of a day, the rider is always so nice, great sportsmanship to everyone else. I find that dog people can be a little more grumpy. <laughs> You're so polite. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know how else to say it. No, that's perfect. That was beautiful. <laughs> and then the horse world from the dog world, I think that they can learn a lot from breeding. I also, I mean, I've reread Pat Trotter's book a million times, and I absolutely love her theories. She's brilliant. <laughs> and I think that the horse people can learn a lot from line breeding and chromosomes and the science in it. Whereas, you know, the horse people will just say, oh, pretty horse, pretty horse, let's breed them. Interesting. Okay. I like that. All right, Emily, I saved one just for you. Okay. You had, and you talked about when we were talking about this originally on the Facebook post, you talked about your background in rescue. Uh-huh. And so I would like you to expand on that. And you, you said some things when we were talking about it earlier that really kind of touched me that was part of why I wanted to talk to you. And the learning curve that it took for you to move from, you know, basically an adopt, don't shop mentality to team sketchbook. Yes. So I came in super uneducated to purebred dogs in general. Like I said, my first Picard that I got, you know, a little over three years ago was my first purebred dog. And before that, I didn't even realize the differences between them. And I was super heavily involved with, it was a breed rescue. And I was super on board with adopt, don't shop. And now I see the error in my ways <laughs> um, because both of them are very valid. Well, but I want to know why. What helped you make that transition? Yes. Right. That's the piece I'm looking for because I would like to replicate it. Is what I, <laughs> I think that's what yes. I'm saying. No, that totally makes sense. So I do so much performance. Mm-hmm. And in my performance thing, my rescues weren't cut in the mustard, frankly. And I adore my rescues. And for me, that was one of the big things that changed it. And then another part of it was the health. Mm -hmm. I was involved with the Boxer Schnauzer Rescue of the Ozarks, and I'm still very involved with them, and I love them. But as we all know, Boxer's health, especially Mm -hmm. rescues that you get off the street, is poor. And even my first guy, his name is Orion, And he's a party miniature schnauzer. Mm -hmm. And so we all know the horribleness that was created to make that. Right. He's the first one to get sick. He's the first one to get anything. Interesting. And so those are the first with some education behind Mm -hmm. that. He is the biggest cuddle bug. He's my best therapy dog. And he has so many wonderful personality traits. But... He does not like my performance events mm-hmm. and that kind of a thing. And so he has such wonderful things in this one column. Right. But my Picards do all the columns. Nice. And so that's the thing that I really love about them is you're going to spend more up front. That price tag and that sticker shock, especially for a rare breed like a Picard, mm-hmm. is going to be like, holy cow. And it's still, even today, like, blah, gets me. But then I think about how much I've spent on my rescue at the vet. Right. And I'm like, well, if I'd spent on a well-bred dog to begin with, it would still not equal this price tag up front kind of a thing. 
Right. And I just see how many of my friends rescues have died such early deaths and things like that. And it's because of well-bred, health-tested genetics, all those things that my mentor Liz has taught me and that preservation breeding has gone that my rescues just don't have. And the things that I'm wanting out of a dog, I can't get through a rescue. Right. As much as I love my Orion, he can't do the things I want him to do. I think that's really important. And I've heard that a number of times from other folks who've come over from a rescue situation and said, I just can't take the health problems that this particular animal has. And I want something that's reliable. I did a fascinating interview with a gal who has Kuiper the science dog. I don't know. You guys are all listeners. So Kuiper the science dog, you've got to listen to her episode. Same exact thing, what she said, why she came to a purebred dog. And I think those are really important and valuable stories for us as preservation breeders to share with the larger community that if you want to have a healthy dog that fits well in your family, that is the right fit for your household, that there is a lot more assurance of that when you're working with a purebred dog that has generations after generations after generations of health testing and careful breeding. So exactly. And the temperament too that go with it. Yep. So, I mean, Orion is probably nine now. I mean, we guess. And frankly, he's still kind of a butt. (laughs) He's still the one that I have to watch. Right. And he just recently has decided after about seven years in my home that we're going to feed him every day. (laughs) So we've had him seven years and he's decided that I'm going to feed him every day and that I'm not going to get rid of him. That kind of makes you cry a little bit. (laughs) I mean, there is that. I mean, there's a side of me that's very sad for him. And then there's another side of me that's just like, are you kidding me, dude? Well, but I think, too, think about that. I mean, start with a dog Mm -hmm. that's never known a bad day in its entire life. And the difference is monumental. Yeah, Yeah, I've got... crazy rotate my two because my husband's girl is dog aggressive. Right. I make it work, but... No one really wants to have dogs that can't have out together. They have to create and rotate, and mm-hmm. it's not fair to either one. So Exactly. People make it work. Dog crazy people make it work, but average Joe family just wants a nice, happy pet. They don't have to, you know, I can only get this person to watch my dog because right. if I give them this person, right. they might not be responsible and something could happen. Right. But the ER vet or something is always over. Excellent. Yeah. And when we travel, I have to make sure that I bring, you know, this dog with me because this dog and this dog can't be out together. Yeah. No, it's totally true. Mm -hmm. All right. Justice, any closing thoughts from you, my friend? Do you want to hear the advice I have for newcomers? I do. Okay. I say take advice from everyone that's willing to give it. Having a variety of mentors and Don't become drilled into just one person's thinking and advice because in the future that can cause problems such as kennel blindness and poor sportsmanship. And I've seen some that maybe go to an owner of a top dog as a mentor, and then that's it. Those are the only dogs that matter. That's the person. That person has a top dog for a reason. They obviously know what they're doing. And that's okay to go to an owner of a top dog for advice. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying don't become brainwashed into one person's thinking and learn from a variety of people because even a person that you wouldn't purchase a dog from because they all have something valuable for newcomers. And in the end, you'll realize that everyone is in it for the same reason, their love of purebred dogs and good sportsmanship is never an option. 
we're happy for everyone and even if we don't like their dog. And when you want to start a breeding program, you'll be more open-minded and observant to not only your own dog's pros and cons, but everyone's. And in the end, it will be the best thing for the preservation of your breed because you took a little something from everyone. Oh my gosh. I'm going to vote for justice for president. (laughs) I just want to take a second and like seconds back, take a little bit from everyone and take what you like, discard what you don't. So yeah, that was very wise advice from an 18 year old. I'm telling you, right? (laughs) Okay. Jessica, any closing thoughts from you? I'm going to third everything Justice just said. In my experience, I was on a breeder's list for three years waiting for a puppy from a bitch I loved, and it just didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, I talked to everybody, and one of the breeders I really liked, became good friends, had a puppy litter coming up, and she's like, I'll put you on the list for a male. And I ended up with Hawk, and she really did pick the perfect puppy for me. Right. Probably the other thing I would add is... Life's going to throw you curveballs. If you have any kind of animal, horses, dogs, I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Best laid plans do not always work out. I was going to do white sports with Hawk, and hmm, nose works our jam. <laughs> <laughs> we like obedience. We like agility. Right. So I learned I love my dog more than I love the sport, and I want to go where he's going to thrive. So be flexible. You may want a confirmation dog, and the dog may hate showing. Right. So... Figure out something else. There's always a backup plan. There's always a second dog in the future. So just have fun with your dog. I like that. Just have fun with your dog. There's a thought. I tell people that all the time. They're in my confirmation handling class. And I'm like, okay, guys, this is not world peace. We are not solving the problem of the coronavirus today. (laughs) Just have fun. Yep. All right. Anything else from you, Emily, in closing? This is about fun, as we've just stated. So it's really easy to get discouraged, but yep. let's try not to. Yep. You got to just keep getting back up again. All right. Well, I love everything from all of you guys. I am very impressed. I hope that you are the future of our sport because it will be in good hands. So thank you very, very much, all of you. Thank you so much thank for having me. you. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.